Cool. All right. Welcome back to the Movie Babble Podcast. Uh, this week, you've got myself and Nick, and it's been a while uh, since we've had the regular Movie Babble Podcast. Uh, September's been kind of crazy, but we're back. Uh, we'll talk in a minute, but cinema is definitively back. Some of the box office totals this weekend. <laughs> Uh, how are you doing, Nick? What's going on, buddy? It's been, it has been a minute. I'm ready to talk about all the films with you. I've I've missed it. It's it's good to be here. Yeah, it's uh, I feel like September, you know, it it worked out because September I think was a little bit slower in terms of just movies coming out, especially like bigger. This is going to captivate just regular audience movies. Uh, because we'll we'll talk about it in a minute. But Dear Evan Hansen didn't really uh take the world by storm. Ooh. Uh, All the wrong reasons it took the whole <laughs> storm. <laughs> but there are some movies that did. Um, so we're just going to jump into the big one. And that is Venom 2, Let There Be Carnage. Or I guess it's just Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Venom 2 sounds good. Um, so despite having kind of an obnoxious title, uh, this movie had a $90.1 million and I'm just going to let that sit there for a second because <laughs> I mean, so not only is that the largest opening weekend of the pandemic, like topping Black Widow, topping Shang-Chi, topping uh, Fast and Furious, I guess would be the, the big three at this point. Uh, but that's a solid 10 million larger than Venom made in 2018 with no pandemic going on. Uh, just unbelievable monies being earned this weekend by Andy Serkis and Tom Hardy. Yeah, it's a, it's a head-scratcher, isn't it? Because it's... Well, even the, the entire success of the first movie is like is crazy, too, because the movie got panned pretty wide, widely. I think it's like in the 30s on Rotten Tomatoes. Not that Rotten Tomatoes is the end-all, be-all with that kind of stuff. But <laughs> yeah, it made like $800 million. No one really liked the movie. Um Except for me, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> um, but yeah, and now we're Delta variant in full swing, and this movie breaks a hundred million worldwide. It's really crazy. I don't know. I mean, I guess we'll, we might get into spoilers later, but maybe it has something to do with uh, that end credit little little sneak peek of things to come. Um, maybe like because I know Tom Hardy's been playing around a little bit with that. We'll get into that later. But yeah, this is just—it's a weird movie that I really enjoyed that I can't say is good. Um, but yeah, I guess all the, the 90 Marvels, 90 Marvel people just love this, love this movie. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I think it'll be interesting because like you said, Venom was pretty universally panned. Like audiences and critics were on board. This was not a good movie uh, back in 2018, but it had pretty solid legs and it went on to make $850 million uh worldwide which for those of you at home that don't know is more than any of sam raimi's spider-man movies except for the last one (laughs) that's crazy um and is just bonkers money for a movie that nobody really liked um so i'm curious to see what this one having you know at worst mixed reviews from critics but generally pretty positive reviews from audiences just how much this will have in terms of legs um, I think this does face a little bit more stiff competition because you do have No Time to Die coming up um, here next week. And then coincidentally enough, the original Venom went head-to-head with uh, Halloween. And now this one will go head-to-head with Halloween Kills here in a few weeks. Um, 
but I'm curious to see how long this one keeps chugging along. Yeah, it's are are movie theaters back? Maybe they are. They're about to be. I feel like because October is stacked. So I mean, we have a bunch of really great weeks coming up. So I imagine the legs on this one might not be as great, but who knows? It's everything with everything Venom related has defied my expectations so far. So maybe it uh, continues to do great business. But yeah, it's just it's an amba- it's a, it's really kind of an amazing phenomenon because yeah, I, the first movie is not good, but I have a lot of fun with it because Tom Hardy said, "Great, I'm gonna take this role and just be weird, do weird Tom Hardy shit the entire time." It just he just refuses to be the dashing leading man he could be if he wanted to play it straight he's just gonna look like shit the entire time his hair is gonna be all messed up he's gonna be sweaty uh he's just gonna be making doing a weird brooklyn accent or whatever he's doing <laughs> as eddie brock um he's just making every non-conventional choice you could make as an actor and then him just doing the voice as venom i think was just funny the back and forth was the whole reason that the first movie worked at all because it's a bland really bland superhero story and it's kind of the same thing this this time around except they just up the ante with all of the venom and and eddie brock stuff and it's really funny and the movie is basically just like their their gay romance together (laughs) is pretty much there's all scene where venom just comes out at a rave and it's hilarious (laughs) so they just and it's it's funny because um tom hardy has story by credits on this one so they basically were just like hey tom hardy go crazy and he said cool and now it's the best romance movie of the year. And that's where we're at. <laughs> yeah, I think I really liked this movie. Um, it was way better than Venom 1, which, granted, is a pretty low bar. Um, it's probably, no, I'd say it's more ridiculous than the first one, but it leans into it. Um, and I, I think, like, the villain especially, whereas the first one, there was this whole complicated, like, he's trying to like, merge science and symbiotes and stuff. Yeah. And in, in this movie, the villain, the explanation is, well, he likes to kill people. That's great. That's, that's all what he needs. does. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a serial killer. That's all. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think this movie was way better than it had any right to be. Way better than the first one. Um, and I think it works really well until about the middle of the third act. And then there's just like some left field kind of character choices that I'm like, wait. Why, why are these people doing these things? But, yeah, overall, Venom, Let There Be Carnage, 10 out of 10. Yeah, the first movie, yeah, 10 out of 10 for me too. Um, yeah, that first movie, it's a weird thing because they take, it, the movie is very self-serious, except Tom Hardy knows what movie he's in, but everyone else is trying to play it really straight, and so he's just going crazy, jumping in lobster tanks, and it's great but the rest of the movie is like kind of dour all around him. And it's this really weird, like self unaware kind of mishmash of like tonal weirdness going on. And it's, it's really fun to watch. I don't know. Like it's kind of like a guilty pleasure in my mind. And this one, it says, Oh, you guys liked all the weird venom stuff. So we're just going to do that. And we're going to lean into it and everyone's going to ham it up. And you're going to have Oscar winner, Naomi Harris, just, yelling looking <laughs> reprising her role as um uh, what was the character name that she played for pirates of the caribbean she looks exactly like her uh pirate. yeah we you know who, I, you know uh, who i'm talking about yeah <laughs> but um so she's just hamming it up as the what's her name shriek in this movie shrieker shriek shriek uh, and then woody harrelson is also just 
just he has like a like a pound of ham in his hand and he's just chewing it like crazy he's just <laughs> chewing the scenery just so hard and um even michelle williams is is like i'm here for the paycheck but i'm also gonna have a lot of fun in the two random scenes that i'm in in this movie and i do appreciate that because this movie is really like it's the most by the numbers superhero movie in terms of just straight like plot where it's like bad guy bad guy gets loose um the hero has his ups and downs they fight in the end they're equal they're like mirror opposites of each other they fight in the end blah 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 um but all the particulars just make this movie just so weird i'm really happy it exists because uh, it's it's still not quote unquote a good movie but i love watching it because tom hardy is just just doing whatever he wants sony's like yeah go ahead be weird um have like make out with venom pretty much uh, <laughs> and then yeah all these people are just having a great time and it's really infectious i think this, this movie knows exactly what it is and it's 90 minutes long and i'm never gonna Listen, never gonna be mad at a movie that does that <laughs> this isn't a good movie but it is a great movie that's a great summation that's exactly <laughs> what i was gonna say yeah <laughs> it's like you know comparing it to the other two superhero movies recently it's been black widow and shang chi is it as good as shang chi probably not will i watch it more than shang chi almost definitely. oh yeah oh yeah (laughs) yeah i mean we'll get to shang chi a little bit later but i just don't really like the second half of that movie at all it's 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 a whole hour and this movie is just an hour and a half of stupidity and it's great (laughs) and it's tom hardy just just trying shit on screen and just once again refusing to be normal in a movie and it's just so captivating i can't still can't tell if it's good and then he has his did you see in the end credits he has one of his rap songs to the end credits yeah so this is this is a tom hardy project through and through uh and it's just so weird and i think and andy andy circus uh, i was about to say andy sandberg but andy sir <laughs> andy circus uh understood the assignment as the director and gave us kind of all the cheese that you kind of want it's a very tonally consist- consistent movie which is you just really can't say that about the first one yeah, and I think this movie hits a lot of the same notes that Blade hit way back in the day. Like that scene where Venom's at a rave just felt like something straight out oh, of yeah. Blade. Oh, yeah. Because uh, Blade also goes to a rave, although he doesn't come out. He just kills people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the, this is the whole grungy 90s Marvel thing. Um, I know Blade yeah. was really big then, too. Uh, but yeah, there's just... Venom has a has a different crowd uh, crowd of fans than a lot of the other Marvel stuff, and I'm probably not smart enough to figure out why that is. But it's just there's just a different crowd for it, and it's just it's just a whole different thing. I like who I could never I would never be able to tell you if this is like quote unquote accurate to the actual character of Venom from the comics, but I I really don't care. It's just so goofy and great. <laughs> it's so yeah. stupid. And uh, I think Venom's kind of a weird character because Venom, you know, came pretty long after Spider-Man was established and just like instantly took off. And Bane's the same way, kind of weirdly also played by Tom Hardy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's just like very grunge, like having to prove that it's edgy and talking about eating brains. And, uh, you know, he rides a motorcycle, so you know that Eddie Brock is cool. Uh, <laughs> just <laughs> all that fun stuff. But... Yeah, I I really like this movie. I think Carnage was a lot of fun too. Like his main focus is mainly murder. Um but I think like the way 
that they have all these PG-13 kills that are still pretty gruesome uh, was handled really well. Like, you know, that one in the trailer where he's like, sticks his tongue down the guy and like, eats him from the inside. Yeah. Um, and just Carnage's whole prison escape was really fun to watch. Yeah, you really don't see that from other superhero movies. And it was weird because I went to just see this at like a random movie theater and I like showed them my ticket and they say, oh, can, can we see your ID? And I was like, wait, is this movie R? <laughs> like what's happening here? And then I sit down and it's like, oh, it's PG-13. But it is really gruesome as far as PG-13 goes. Like it's probably, they got their F-bomb in there too. It's like they did everything <laughs> to make it as as like rough of a PG-13 they could without going over and showing. Basically, they just don't show any blood in the kills. And that's how you, <laughs> that's the difference between PG-13 yeah. and R now, I guess. Uh, but yeah, like so that tongue stuff is kind of creepy, kind of gross. Um, and you you don't see any of the bodies after the head's been bitten. Oh off. yeah, you just see the feet. like you just like Venom just discards them off screen, and you're like, oh okay, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're dead, they're they're done for. Yeah, a lot of people die. There's a lot of murder in this movie. I do appreciate that. It's just this movie just it knows what it is for th- for so many ways, and I mean it's not the most compelling villain I've ever seen, but. I admire this movie. He's like, you know what? Fuck it. He's just a deplorable serial killer. And that's just all the, that's all the villain is. And then me with the low bar I have for this movie, I say, great. That's all I need to root, root for root against him. That's all, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like he deserves whatever fate he gets. And it's like, it's not, there's nothing special to it, but it just works for this kind of movie. Yeah. And what I really liked about the dynamic with the villains, because you have, Carnage is the main villain, obviously, um, from the title, if you could tell. Oh, thank you. Um, And then then Shriek is his girlfriend, fiance, wife, uh, who's also a villain, who is just uh, like the redheaded kid from X-Men First Class, but she takes deeper breaths before she gets... It's true, yeah. Um, And I, you know, I thought this was one of those movies where I thought it was like, oh, well, you know, she's going to start off on Carnage's side. She's going to turn because he gets too evil. And they're like, no, she's just evil uh, most of the time. Like, <laughs> she's still trying to kill Venom at the end. Though, but so, so I appreciated that they stuck to that. But it's weird because there's one scene where, like, she's torturing the... Or I guess it's not a scene, but it's it's part of the big battle. And so, like, Venom and Carnage are fighting. And she's fighting this cop that, uh, you know, shot her and took her to a mental home. And, like, all of a sudden she's like, no, stop, Carnage. You're doing too much. And then he like smacks her, and then the next scene you're like, oh, I bet she's gonna try and kill Carnage. She's like, no, nah, still killing Venom. <laughs> uh, so I was like, it was up until that point where I was like, all these characters make sense, even if they're really kind of dumb. And then they started kind of jumping around a bit. And I felt like some of the other side characters in that last battle were just you could never really tell where the placing was supposed to be, like who is where and doing what, how much time has passed. Oh yeah, but there, overall, there's no reason why Reed Scott and Michelle Williams have to be in this movie whatsoever. They're they're literally yeah. there just as the plot device to get to the final battle, and then so that uh, Eddie Brock has something to fight for. No reason for them to be in this movie, but yeah, it's this movie is just so weird. I love because I don't know if you saw this interview with Andy Serkis where he was basically like, yeah, like Venom's a queer character. And it's how it is in the, in the movie. Because I feel like in all of these big time superhero or franchise movies, 
they always the creator the kind of or the writers they throw in some subtext there where they always have to dance around it and for some weird reason they never they never come out and be like yes this person's a queer character and this is why any sort any circus was just like fuck yeah like venom's venom's <laughs> queer <laughs> and it's great and they play around with it too like not even only do, do they have it in the rave scene but they also play up the gender fluidity of it all with the symbiote, with him just going from body to body and him going to Michelle Williams and being like, I really like this, and then going back to Eddie Brock. Yeah. So they play that up too, and it's just it's just a lot of fun. I liked it. It's just it's it kind of just knows it just I don't know, they're like, we want to play around with this, and it makes sense for the symbiote, like I guess just that character in general. So I really like that. It was just a it was a nice little inclusion. I didn't expect to see in a Venom 2 movie. <laughs> yeah. It was, and I think along those lines, this movie did a good job of making Venom and Eddie feel like different characters. Whereas in the first movie, I feel like it was Eddie and then slightly edgier Eddie, where Venom was involved. But in this one, you're like, no, there is Venom and there is Eddie. And like, here's how they deal with each other. And so I think that was probably the best thing that this movie did better than Yeah, I kind of just want Venom 3 to just be them vibing in that apartment <laughs> for an hour and a half. You know, just make it like I... a romance. Just it's like a it's like a ten million dollar budget. Then just like it's like a three act play of them in the apartment, just yelling at each other. That'd be great. <laughs> so, I kind of felt like this the last conversation that Eddie has with uh, Michelle Williams and Reed Scott almost felt like a like a serious goodbye to them. And then I think with the post credit scene, which will probably jump into here in a second it almost felt like they were kind of leaving part of the world behind and then you know maybe moving on to something kind of new in venom 3 i don't know if you got any of those vibes from yeah who knows i mean michelle williams is one of the best actresses ever or i guess working (laughs) right now and they're paying her millions of dollars to stand there (laughs) so like either use her or or don't you know like i so yeah i mean i guess we'll We'll get into the whole spoilery end credit scene in a second here, but yeah, I, I mean, I have no idea what the, what the, there could be endless possibilities for Venom three based on what they set us up for at the end there. So yeah, I agree. So the first Venom, uh, do you remember what the the final post credit scene in the first Venom movie was? Um, isn't it is this is that the one with Woody Harrelson? He has the funny red afro. Or is that no? That's like no. halfway. It's like they cut the black and then cut right to him. Okay, yeah. 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 I don't remember what the actual end credit scene is then. So the the first end credit scene to Venom was our first look at Into the Spider Verse. It was like that sequence oh, where oh, that's right, yeah. Miles finds Peter's body. So my expectations were pretty high. I was like, are we getting Spider Verse two, uh, or something along those lines. Yeah. And then we got a we got the big scene. I feel like everybody's been warned that we're getting into spoilers here. Um, <laughs> yeah, spoilers. But yeah, jump ahead. Whatever. So do whatever you want. <laughs> so uh, Venom gets flipped or looped or whatever you want to call it into something. into the the MCU verse. It seems like uh, they're just kind of chilling there in a hotel room in the Venom verse, and then it's like a flash of yellowish light, and then all of a sudden they're in a different universe, and uh, J.K. Simmons is back. Um, I think he's probably played J. Jonah Jameson more than anybody's played Spider-Man at this point. <laughs> <laughs> probably. And and uh, so he's back, and then he's uh, there's a picture of Tom Holland on the TV as Spider-Man. Uh, Venom licks the TV because you gotta you gotta put that element of 
Venom being obsessed with Peter Parker. Oh, yeah. Gotta, the... gotta have another uh, instance of that tongue coming out. Yep. <laughs> Into the mix, but it, uh, so I, I really like this scene for two reasons. One, it proves that Venom wasn't in the MCU, even though Sony kept insisting it uh, before they're like, yeah, Venom is an MCU movie. And then Kevin Feige would be like, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, re- relax. Uh, but, but now the fact that he's been blipped into the MCU proves that a he wasn't to begin with but now he is so <laughs> yeah i think uh, <laughs> i think it was totally they've i mean i'm sure they've been working on the 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 multiverse stuff for a while now because you know like kefagi and marvel they have all of this stuff planned out they probably have the plans for the 2031 slate right now but they won't tell <laughs> us for years but my guess was that sony was just like we're gonna make a venom movie and we'll see what happens because there's no way, like, they originally made the first one with, it, like, yeah, this is going to be in the MCU. Because that movie is just so weird and bizarre <laughs> and has just nothing. It's just, it's totally different than any of the Marvel movies. And then I'm sure as talks progressed, because, you know, they had to update the, their deal with the Spider-Man character once again and all this different stuff. So I'm sure Sony came back to Feige and the rest of the Marvel brass and said, we have this idea um, you're, if you're going to do your multiverse stuff, let's bring Venom into the mix and all this different stuff. So I'm sure there was a bunch of deals in the back of this that made this all come together. Because I'm sure they just wanted to make Venom its own thing. But now he's here to say, are we going to get Morbius too in the MCU? <laughs> what, what happened? To that? I feel like that movie is just never going to happen again now, right? <laughs> I keep forgetting about that movie. They didn't even play the trailer before Venom. Like the one time you would expect to see that trailer. Yeah, when's that movie <laughs> supposed to come out now? Is it January? Jan- January, yeah. Oh boy. Shout out to Jared uh, Leto, I guess. But, yeah, so Venom is here, uh, sort of. I-, I feel like it's going to be one of those things where he's never going to show up in an actual MCU movie, but they'll put him in, like, Spider-Man-related movies every month. That's probably what it'll be. He'll have his five minutes in this movie coming up, and then he'll get zoomed back into the Venom universe, whatever we're going to call it now, the Sony cinematic universe, I don't know. And then he'll just go back and Tom Hardy will just jump in more lobster tanks and we'll go from there. That's probably what's going to happen here. And it'll be a fun little nod. uh... It'll be a fun little nod because they're doing all the (laughs) Spider-Man nods in this movie, is my guess. I I want to see Topher Grace take on uh, Tom Hardy's Venom. That'd be pretty good. Both Venoms just chilling. (laughs) And then, because no one likes that Venom, so this Venom eats that Venom. Make a little fun little thing. He's he's probably too busy with his what's that ABC show he's on, uh, like home, uh, home economics. Like home, home, yeah, yeah, he's probably too busy filming that. Sorry, right now <laughs> to get involved. <laughs> but yeah, so you already kind of addressed it. But do you think uh, this means Tom Hardy's Venom is going to be in No Way Home? Yeah, he'll be there. I mean, they set it up right. Like he'll. Be, I think it's just a matter of how much, and I feel like it's going to be. If they're going to avoid this movie being like an absolute clusterfuck, they need to have (laughs) some of these appearances just be a few minutes and then they're gone. So maybe he comes in for one action sequence, you know, he pops in, um, has some fun, maybe bites ahead, and then some weirdness happens (laughs) and he comes back to his own universe. That's probably what's going to happen. I don't know. Otherwise, I don't know how this movie holds together at all, honestly. Yeah, and I think it's weird... Because Venom was introduced before the suit was. So uh, Spider-Man's my favorite comic book character. And pretty much the only one I've ever like really read a lot of. 
And so, like, the whole thing is, you know, most of Venom's interesting powers come from the fact that he, like, leached them off of Spider-Man. And so this is why this Venom just, like, weirdly forms blobs instead of, like, swinging webs or, you know, having spider sense or that kind of thing. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see how they handle, like, Venom already existing and at this point having kind of patched up this relationship with Eddie Brock, but also being in love with Peter Parker because he's Spider-Man. Um, so I'm kind of curious to see, like, what the whole Venom-Peter dynamic is, especially since Venom's a good guy for most purposes at this point. Yeah. Isn't um isn't there a scene, I could be misremembering this, but isn't there, like, a little, like, cut of... Tom Holland running through like a cafeteria and he has the Venom suit, like the black suit on. See, it's a black suit, and that's what that was my first thought. I was like, I wonder if he like Venom suits up. But they always like lie with what suit he, suits he's actually that's true, wearing. Yeah. Like, it could just be CGI. Like all the yeah, all the like far from home stuff was in some of his like Infinity War suits, and then all the Infinity War was like his classic suits. So I feel like they're just gonna hide whatever suits he's actually wearing until the yeah ever since the uh the infinity war shot where it's all of the all of the superheroes running through the jungle together that didn't <laughs> show up in the movie i just it's, i don't believe much of what i see in an mcu trailer anymore because they have the beat down where it's like the teaser trailer is to some downbeat um music they took they took from somewhere because they haven't made the score yet <laughs> and then the second trailer is always what the movie will end up being you know so that's yeah. kind of how that's kind of have been the mode for all of them. So I, it's it'll be fun. I'm really curious. It seems like this is kind of their, I don't know, not their new Avengers movie, but they're they're working on the MCU of like making more of these event type movies more often. And I don't know if that's gonna like yeah. blow up in their face or not because it becomes less special, or if they're it's gonna be released really popular. My guess is it'll be really popular, <laughs> but it's interesting. But uh, before we we jump off of Venom and the whole multiversal thing. I think uh, Tom Hardy getting blipped into the MCU was actually only the second really interesting reality-bending thing Marvel did this week, because uh, we had our first Marvel Star Wars crossover, which I feel really weird about. Where did that happen? Uh, what? <laughs> in, uh, what? In What If. Uh, uh, yeah, I haven't been watching that. What a couple of the characters get blasted into Mustafar and like Darth Vader's castles in the background. And it lasts like three seconds and it probably doesn't need anything. But I was like, please, please do not put these things together. That, would, that <laughs> makes me cringe just hearing about it. I was like, <laughs> if if I ever see Spider-Man pick up a lightsaber, I'm just going to quit. No, yeah. let, let things be said. We already <laughs> have the, the free guy scene where he does all the Disney stuff. So I'm, <laughs> I'm good with less crossover stuff for a while <laughs> uh so yeah hopefully hopefully they'll show some restraint i feel like kevin feige will as long as he's around but i don't trust abi arad on the sony side because he just likes to smash all of his spider things together so yeah i wonder how those meetings go where he just comes to feige with all these ideas and feige just like pats him on the back like sure sure guy like well, yeah great all right, see you later. <laughs> uh, but uh, let's let's move on. So that is Venom with a monster ninety million dollars, uh, just baffling amounts of money. Um, and then we're gonna move on to another movie uh, that opened this week on HBO Max and in theaters. Um, so it only pulled in about five million, 
in theaters, but again, it's also on HBO Max. And I feel like this is a film that would probably do more in HBO business than it would theatrical because it is the prequel to an HBO series. Um, and this doesn't just doesn't scream like big screen experience as much as something like you know Venom or Black Widow would. Um, and that is the Many Saints of Newark or Multisanti for all my Italian friends. <laughs> yeah, the big irony with all of this is that um, the Sopranos creator David Chase, the only way he was going to come back to uh, the Sopranos world is if he make, could make this kind of theatrical experience because he has this very interesting kind of strained relationship with TV where he always wanted to make movies. Uh, but he was he he wrote on TV for years, and he was like, the only way I'm going to make a TV show is to make a the most non TV show TV show, which is how we got the Sopranos <laughs> and how revolutionary it is. So it's kind of a bummer just to see his one thing where he's like, I'm going to do a movie, and now it's just everyone's just streaming it. It's probably on the HBO Max front page. It's probably right next to Sopranos, which is kind of, yep. which is kind <laughs> of a bummer for him. But uh, yeah, it's the Sopranos prequel, which. I actually just, it's great timing for me. I actually just finished watching The Sopranos for the very first time, uh, like a week or two ago. So um, I was actually really looking forward to this movie. Um, but I, you're not much of a Sopranos guy, right? Uh, no. So I have never seen any of The Sopranos. Um, n- not a single Soprano. Um, but <laughs> I was really excited for this movie. I like the trailer. Um, Sopranos is one of those shows that I'm like, yeah, I need to get into that at some point. Um, so I was. I was hyped up for this movie Friday morning when I rolled in. Um, and I, I don't know, I feel very conflicted about this movie. And I'm, I'm curious to see. So I've never seen The Sopranos before. You just finished this to see if we have the same just kind of thoughts and critiques of it. Um, but I did enjoy it. I had a good time. Um, I think we'll probably both agree that the performances by Alessandro Nivola and uh, Michael Gandolfini were, were really good. Uh, I enjoyed that. There was a really nice uh, Joe Pesci cameo that I just loved, but yeah, I, I don't know if you caught that at all, did you? Wait, he's in this movie? Wait, what? Uh, so, Ray Liotta's second character, right? he's always getting the records. Uh, the second time he's holding a record, he's holding Joe Pesci's debut album, Little Joey Sure Can't Sing. Oh, that's cute. I like that a lot. And I died and nobody else in the theater was laughing. (laughs) (laughs) That's really fun. I like that a lot. (laughs) I did not know that. I mean, I like that scene because he's like, this is a jazz and just like throws it back in his face. But I didn't realize that was the Pesci album. That's really, really funny. (laughs) I love it. Um, Yeah. So I'm curious, just what was your kind of general reaction to this as a Sopranos fan? Yeah. My, my hot take on the Sopranos is that it's really good. Um, it's just a really, really good show, and it's it's an amazing feat from David Chase, who I think either writes or co-wrote every single episode. There might be some he didn't, but uh, it's never once does he he doesn't glorify these characters ever. He makes it very clear at all times how much he hates all of these mobster guys. And yet you still end up rooting for them in one way or another or laugh with the monstrous things they say. And it's really impressive. And it's all these great things based on like this, like, like, like it has so much to say about masculinity and kind of 
where, where America's gone in the past couple of decades and just so much stuff. And it's like the first mobster um, kind of piece of content where it's they grow, they, they all those characters grew up watching stuff like Goodfellas and The Godfather and stuff like that. So they're, they're, they're all mobsters, but they're trying to emulate uh, past mobsters from uh, like from movies and stuff like that. So it's this really interesting mix. But yeah, I too was really looking forward to this movie quite a bit and uh i think it's very okay uh, that's where I, that's where i that's where i stand it's it's really tough because i think there's a really good movie in there somewhere and honestly it might have been just been it might have been better as a limited series the stuff that this movie is trying to tackle because it's trying to tackle um kind of the u.s response to the vietnam war and um rioting in cities and how uh, like the Italians and like these mobsters are taking advantage of um, like like black people who are like thrown under the bus for all this violence and it's this really interesting racial dynamic uh, at play here and then it quickly shifts to a lot of other stuff as well um, and it's kind of all it's kind of vignette as a movie there's just a lot of disconnected scenes that don't quite match up to each other and I'm curious if this movie had some sort of studio meddling in it because it's exactly two hours. It's two, I, on the HBO ticker. Yeah. It's two hours and 14 <laughs> seconds. So when you see something like that, it's clear that it had some weird um, kind of runtime that doesn't quite fit for theaters trying to roll over and clean up theaters for the next showing and show as many in a, in a day as possible. Like it probably ran at like two twenty three or two. 10 or something weird where it's like not those 15 minute intervals that theaters really like and if, because of that it feels like there's some connective tissue missing because you don't quite understand character dynamics a lot like leslie odom jr is kind of at the he's kind of the head of kind of this racial divide that's in this movie and he's really great in it he's really good performance and he's just an awesome performer in general but the movie never really quite makes it clear why he's there what's like at all and you're really you enjoy his scenes because he's a great actor uh but it never really kind of um kind of shows its cards and it kind of explains why he's even involved in any of this and it's very it's very confusing in that way you kind of go through a lot of the scenes and they're like what are they trying to to say here um and i I had i had that feeling quite a bit uh, throughout this yeah and i think it did very much feel like two separate movies or something that yeah could have been explored over a limited series or even you know like a small mini series um because you have you know you don't even see the majority of what was advertised which would be Michael Gandolfini as young tony until about the 45 minute mark like you're still yeah. following uh dicky and you're still following little tiny tony will show up every now and then um, and I was like, wait, what is this movie actually about? And the thing is, I like what it was about in the first half. I think the first half was the stronger part of the movie, um, in my opinion, because that is where you're playing with um, a lot of these ideas, like struggling with the Vietnam War um, and looking at the African-American side of things, and um, especially where I think that's where Leslie Odom Jr.'s character really shines. Um, and just looking at, you know, the riots and how they're impacting the family, how the family's taking advantage of it. Um, and then in the second half of the film, a lot of that context and just discussion is gone. Mm -hmm. Like Leslie Odom Jr. is still in the movie, 
but he no longer lives in that same environment. Like you've skipped over so much that's happened. Um, and there's no real resolution to all that build up. Um, I just kind of kept wondering, well, where, where did it come to a head? Like, what, what does this actually mean before we just jump straight into the white flight? Yeah. It's really weird. Cause it's, um, it comes to a head, all of like the kind of the violence in the, in the city and his character says, I got to go on the run and he leaves. And then there's voiceover from, uh, Michael Imperioli. So Christopher Moltisanti from the Sopranos, um, Dickie's kid. And then he's like, then, and then Leslie Lowe Jr.'s character just shows back up in the same neighborhood. He's like, yeah, I'm back. And he's just doing different stuff now. <laughs> and it's very bizarre. And his, and his motives change for reasons you can understand, but the movie doesn't really flesh them out particularly well. You can, like, you can understand why he's mad at Dickie and all these, and why he's doing what he's doing, but it's not, it's not a very strong arc at all. And it doesn't really connect to the first half at all. Um, yeah, it's just kind of, it's a very, very mixed bag. I think the performances are really great in it though. Um, like Alessandro Navol has just been, he's a great actor who has never quite had a leading role like this before. Um, but I think he's, he's awesome. He's the best part of this movie. He's really, really good. Uh, I would love to see, um, kind of honestly a limited series uh, with him as the lead character because, um, I really, I do like how this is not the Tony Soprano prequel and I think people might get disappointed from that, but, um, the way it follows the Dickie character, I think it does for as like muddled as the movie is, you do understand kind of what leads, uh, young Tony to become the Tony Soprano. We know of him in the Sopranos later on. Those seeds are placed in an interesting way. Um, so, yeah, a lot of the performances are really good in this movie, except for uh, the guy who plays uh, Silvio, uh, who's very, very bad. It's an SNL skit. <laughs> uh, it's John Magaro playing him, and he's a great actor. He was in First Cow, Kelly Records' First Cow last year, and he's awesome in that movie. But he's doing, he's very bad. He's very bad. Very, very bad in this movie. <laughs> the, rest of the, the rest of the impersonations, I mean, some of them are impersonations, but I think a lot of them work pretty well, uh, especially Vera Farmiga as... Uh, yeah, as Livia Soprano. I mean, if you have you haven't seen the series, so you don't really have the connection to Livia. But one of the best TV performances I've ever seen, and Vera <laughs> Farmiga nails it in this movie. She is so good. So I I loved her, and Corey Stoll as Junior is great too, and gets the mannerisms right without <laughs> uh, dipping into caricature. And uh, yeah, Ray Liotta in two roles, doing a lot. Wow, it's so, good to see him in here too. Corey Stoll's character actually bothered me a little bit because he was one of the characters I understood his dynamics and the rest of the family the least as someone who hasn't seen The Sopranos. Um, And so there were a couple characters like that where I just, I never felt like I understood how the hierarchy of the crime family was structured because at first it kind of feels like, you know, coming into it completely blind, like they're all brothers and all part of the same family. And then you're like, oh no, it's actually John Bernthal and Corey Stoller brothers. Um, and then uh, Dickie is like cousin or yeah. something like that. And then I could never figure out, you know, are they separate crime families? Are they like part of a larger organization? Like what is Leslie Odo Jr.'s role? Like what are they actually doing other than just like taking money from the same grocery store every couple of days? <laughs> um, so I was a little bit confused about the relationships with that. And then there was like a lot of resentment between uh, Corey's character Jr. and uh, Dickie. 
that I, I don't feel like was ever really fleshed out. Like, um, I don't know if it's a spoiler or not, because I haven't seen the TV show, but it's a spoiler in this movie where uh, Corey Stoll, like, falls, hurts his back, Dickie laughs at him, and then Corey Stoll's character has him killed. And I was like, well, that seems like kind of an overreaction. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't understand what's going on here. <laughs> yeah, I, so I love that part of it. And it's probably not as fleshed out as it could be, but Junior uh, Junior Corrado is a very vindictive guy, and he gets very angry for little slights against him, and uh, is known in the in like even the earlier seasons to overreact to when people make fun of him. There's a really good bit um, in the first season about um, how how should I say this? How Junior likes to uh, to please his female companions. And there's a running joke in that, and he gets very, very uh, furious with it, and it's really, really funny. <laughs> um, so I like where that ends up because it's also it's a very David Chase thing to do, where I, I think that is a really good. It's like it's so pointless. Like, why would you jump to that conclusion after just being laughed, like <laughs> after getting laughed at? But uh, David Chase hates all of these people and to see them act so stupidly for such little things I think is very consistent with how The Sopranos works so um, I do see what you mean though like out of context if this is just a mob movie you're like wait this is the third act that's kind of weird but I think it does really work it works nicely just because it shows how like stupid this the mob life is and how pointless and unnecessary it is and Junior has a really good line I think in the the like the penultimate episode of the last episode that is a, is a great capper to that as well in the series but i won't spoil that for you we'll leave that there <laughs> yeah and i think that was probably my issue is the movie is i don't know what the payoff is right like i i understand tony's arc in this movie but i don't understand it in the grand scheme of things which is you know a lot of what this movie is it's like this is how you know tony becomes tony I don't really know what it means to be Tony. Yeah, it's and that's the other thing. This movie is balancing between telling its own story, which I think is a good idea because the Dicky side of stuff is is not really. It's reflected upon by Christopher and other characters. You get like allusions to it, but they don't really flesh it out. So I thought that was a really good idea for the prequel. But this is a this movie is a ton of fan service, and it's it's like juggling back and forth between telling this story and also just like giving fan service to people who love The Sopranos. Like there are there are lines repeated word for word from the series that people really like, and they're very very obvious and on the nose and kind of annoying in some instances. Um. So yeah, it's this weird like it's this weird mix of. We wanted it's kind of like a like a victory lap like hey remember the sopranos that was great we did we made one of the best shows ever and then it's also trying to tell its own thing so it's it's kind of weird and that's why a lot of like the character side characters pop up and have their like weird little moments that don't really work for a movie but like they work like they work for a tv show because all those side characters are really well flushed out in the sopranos and like hold their own episodes for a lot of the time so um yeah it's a weird it's a weird struggle. Like the script feels more like a TV script condensed into a movie than anything else. And um, yeah, it's just, it really just, it really is all over the place. I think Alan Taylor, uh, the director is a, uh, he's, he directed a lot of crucial Sopranos uh, episodes. So he's, he, he knows David Chase pretty well, but he's kind of a shoot the script kind of guy. You know, he did, uh, yeah. he did Thor two, 
It's a, it's a Game of Thrones. Like it'll he'll make it good if the script is good, but he's not really going to elevate it in any kind of way. So I feel like I don't know. It feels like there's a lot of different weird stuff going on with the script and possible studio meddling here. I just it's a mixed bag for me. I think there's a lot of really good stuff in it, but nothing that I can't totally recommend it. You forgot a. Uh... Alan Taylor's magnum opus, Terminator Genesis. Oh, who could forget? It was me. I could forget. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I... I think I liked this movie more than I disliked it, and it definitely made me intrigued enough to be like, yeah, I should watch the show. Yeah, um, it's, it's Sopranos. Yeah. It's a good show. <laughs> you may have heard of it. <laughs> um, also, like... Billy Magnuson just really disappears into his role because, like, I didn't realize that was him. And maybe it was just because he yeah. had his hair dyed black. But then I was looking at the cast list afterward and I was like, oh, really? <laughs> There's a lot of really good prosthetics going on here. Like, he has the fake nose, yeah. and Vera Farmiga has the. She looks. She's nose. a spitting image of Livia Soprano, of. I forget that actress's name off the top of my head, but she's. I thought she was great. I would love to just see a movie with Vera Farmiga, honestly. But yeah, that's uh, Billy Magnuson who plays Polly Walnuts, and uh, it's it's a pretty good casting decision, and he's pretty spot on in terms of his impersonation of Tony Sirico. Uh, so it's a uh, there's more. You're I feel like you're gonna be a big Polly guy once you watch The Sopranos because he's he's really really <laughs> funny. Interesting. Yeah, we'll have to see. Uh, but yeah, definitely it got me interested, which I think was kind of what HBO was hoping. Um, that, you know this would do because that is a very popular very like critically loved show that they have complete control over so it's always always trying to get people invested in things they already have which i feel like hbo has struggled to do um just in terms of original series and like warner brothers content because even the snyder cut didn't just like blow away records like they were hoping to and hbo max has always been on the struggle bus yeah it's um yeah, it's funny because I think there's been a an, like another reevaluation of Sopranos because it became such a big thing in quarantine where people are like, all right, I'm gonna watch the Sopranos for the first time or watch it again, and I was one of those people, obviously. So it's it is it it kind of did hit this nice wave, but um yeah, it clearly didn't do that well at the box office. So I hope people do check it out on HBO Max though because I think I think there is some good stuff in it. But what about the home box office? <laughs> Uh, and yeah, HBO Max is the one that like releases their numbers the least, so we may never know. Yeah, we'll have, we'll have no idea. <laughs> um, <laughs> but there was another new release uh, that I did not get time to check out, but I know you did um, in quite an eventful screening. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> so well, why, did, why don't you tell us about Titan? Yeah, Titan, Titan, I don't know. I'm going to call it Titan, just for the sake of my sanity. But um, yeah. I've been really looking forward to this movie for a very long time. This is Julia DeCorno's second film um, after Raw, which came out, I think, in 2016, which is a great movie. Um, and I was, this obviously, Titan has won, just won the Palme d'Or this year. Uh, it's kind of making massive waves at the, on the festival circuit for, for one, how good it is, and also just how insane it is, and uh, can confirm, very insane. Um, but yeah, I had an eventful, eventful weekend with this movie. I saw it twice. Um, the first time was Thursday night because it was the movie I was by far looking forward to the most this weekend. So I sit down, and the movie starts, 
and the subtitles aren't really working. So the only time you can actually see what people are saying is when two people are talking in a scene. So they have like the one line and then they have the second one below it. And you can only <laughs> see, they cut it off somehow. So you can only see the top line. So when there's only one line of dialogue, you can see nothing. So people are just talking in French. And I have no idea what's happening because I don't speak French. Um, but there's, it was such a weird thing. And it was just me being maybe stupid too. Who knows? But um, it's just such an amazing visual experience, this movie, that I still sat through the entire movie, even though the subtitles weren't working. Because it is, it is such an, ama- an amazing visual um, experience that you can kind of... You can basically glean everything you need to know about what's happening to the movie and these characters based on just the visuals alone uh, and how like they're really strong physical acting as well in this movie. And it's it's honestly, you can watch it as a pseudo-silent film in that way, and it was really effective. And it worked really well for me the first time around. But uh, yeah, it was, very, it was very weird. Just me on Thursday night, just sitting there and like immediately someone spoke in French and no subtitles came up. And so someone like walked (laughs) out to talk to the manager. It's like, okay, this will be fixed. I'm just going to sit here. Um, And then nothing kept happening. So I was like, Oh, like what's happening? Then more people went out to like talk to the manager and came back and still nothing happened. So I was just sitting there. I was like a half hour into the movie and I was like, well, I'm enjoying myself so far. And there's a lot of scenes that go along that don't have a lot of dialogue. So why not? Let's just sit here. <laughs> so it's just me <laughs> not knowing what characters are saying, just watching this French movie for, for an hour and 45 minutes. But it was a great great way to spend my Thursday. And then, of <laughs> course, I go out and then talk to the manager afterwards. And they were like, oh, yeah, why didn't you come out? They We got it to work on another screen. You could have watched it there. And I was like, <laughs> oh, great. Thanks for letting me know that, manager. That was great. <laughs> I wouldn't have had to sit there. But no, I really enjoyed it. And I think it does speak to like the power of this movie you can just sit there not know french just watch the images and the way that it's the kind of the the shot composition that duke is working with here and it's just it works so well um but i saw it today with subtitles so i understand what they're what was happening this time (laughs) for the most part um and not only did it confirm a lot of what i was watching just through the visuals where i could infer a lot of the dialogue that was uh, being spoken but um it just it also kind of got home that this is a really terrific movie. Um, certainly not for the faint of heart. And I honestly don't even want to say a lot about what happens in this movie because it is such a, wow, you can't believe this until you actually see it. Like what happens in this, this movie goes for broke in the first 30 minutes and it's insane. Um, just a lot of, a lot of kills, a lot of goop, uh, a lot of grossness, a lot of hilarious moments. Um, yeah, it, this is just a very bizarre, wild experience. And it's a lot like, so Raw, have you seen Raw, her first movie? No. Okay, so it's her first movie, um, it's this crazy, it's this cannibal story where this girl goes to vet school in her freshman year and she turns into a cannibal and starts eating people. And it's this really gruesome. As one does. It's this really gruesome story, but it's also this crazy allegory for her for her sexual awakening as a as a as a young woman and so it's like this crazy heightened satirical way of showing this very personal thing because and 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 in doing that it shows just how scary these kind of transformations can be for a person and kind of almost like how non-human it can feel to like go through all this stuff and it works tremendously and it's kind of the same thing here too where it's a very 
I, I, it's weirdly touching for how disturbing it is, um, but it's kind of working the same line where it's this very heightened, satirical, and like borderline hilarious. Um, I think that that'll be the that's the kind of like lost in all discussion of this movie because it's very harrowing, but it's also just very absurd and funny in a lot of instances. Um, but it's the same kind of thing where it's these these people grappling with um, being in control of their bodies. It's a it's a trans story. Uh, as well um it's just it's really fascinating it's about how you can hold trauma with you throughout your life and how you pass it on to others and what you do with it and how it impacts basically everything you do throughout life um it's a very fascinating fucked up movie (laughs) that i don't really want to say i don't want to say much more about but there's a yeah there's a car involved there's a lady um yeah (laughs) things and it ensues from there uh it's just a very bizarre movie it's one of my favorites of the year and um uh yeah it's just a it's very very bizarre and it's it's worth all the awards it's winning it's fantastic and yeah julia ducarneau after this movie she's just like vaulted herself into like one of the best international filmmakers working right now so i i implore everyone to check it out definitely a movie that since it's just playing in random like multiplexes like random people will just stumble into it, like, oh, what's this movie? And they <laughs> see the first couple scenes and they're like, oh my God. <laughs> like they're just not prepared at all for what this is. And I'm sure there will be some backlash to it because of that. Cause people have no idea what they're watching. Cause it's so kind of transgressive. Um, but it's really good. I really, really liked it and it's fucked up. So I guess it's kind of a me movie in that sense. So <laughs> it's really good. Yeah. I just want to add that, uh, there were no subtitles in Venom with their carnage, <laughs> and I still understood what was going on. That was really good. Bravo to you. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's all the, the new, new stuff, uh, but we do want to touch on some of the old, new stuff uh, that came out in September. Um, so let's just go with the one taking the world by storm, Dear Evan Hansen. Um, lots of quality memes coming from this movie from everything I've heard. Amazing memes. Not a great quality movie. Um, and I have no intention of proving or disproving that by actually watching it. So yeah, don't, that's where don't I'm see it. I'm here to tell you that it's terrible. Uh, yeah. The meme of Evan Hansen, just like all of his veins popping. Like he's like, it's, it's funny. Cause it's like a very, it's like supposed to be the emotional scene in the movie but he just looks like he's shitting his pants or he has, uh, he's constipated. And it's so funny. It's really, really funny. Um, it's kind of, I feel bad cause that's, um, like Ben Platt's a really good singer, but the way he sings, there's just a lot of throat veins going on. So it's just kind of off putting. And especially with like the whole thing with this movie is that Ben Platt looks like he's 50 years old in high school and like all that doesn't help at all. Like he's just super veiny and like screaming at like little children and it creates this, bizarre unreality because it looks like because basically i mean the i guess the kind of like the log line of this movie is that um, ben platt's character evan hansen he's been instructed by his therapist to write a letter to himself um because uh, he's been she's on medication he's struggling with uh, depression all these different things um a suicidal teen takes his letter and then takes his own life and then that that teen's parents think that Evan Hansen was one of his friends because he had the letter on him when he died. 
And then Evan Hansen goes along with it because he's a sociopath. And that's the movie. And they and it's so it's so bizarre because he is doing awful things to these people. And huh. it's just so weird. And then it's him looking like he's 40. It's just not it's been low hanging fruit, but it's just so weird. Like I'm okay because like like Caitlin Deaver is in this movie and she's what, like twenty three, right? 23 she was born she was born 96 so she's 24 or 25 or whatever and um so she's in this movie too um so she's not in high school but the way they like work with like ben platt's like hair and stuff like that it looks like he has a receding hairline it just like they they tried to age him down but inadvertently aged him up so it just looks like it's just (laughs) this weird and he's taller than everybody too so it looks like he's just this weird adult who's just being really cruel and awful to all of these teenagers and it's really weird it's really really weird um and then yeah the the plot itself is just so um it's just it's just wrong (laughs) in so many different ways like there is a there's a dance number so um there's like evan hansen goes over to them uh connor murphy is the kid who commits suicide and he goes over to the murphy's household and amy adams uh continuing her very tragic run of trying to get Oscars is, is just in this movie. Um, but goes over to her house and explains like this made up time that they had together and like explain this great afternoon that they had. Cause she wants him to share memories about his life. Cause they don't really know him cause he was struggling a lot. Um, huh. and then, um, Evan Hansen has this family friend who says like, they totally think that you guys were lovers and they go on, he, like, it make, it's this weird, like, gay panic joke that the guy continues throughout the movie. He's like, oh, yeah, you guys were, like, you guys were gay together. And it's like, wow, I thought, I didn't, re- I thought we left this kind of joke in 2005. Like, I didn't realize we were still doing this. And then there's this really bizarre um, dance, or dance number where it's Connor Murphy um, is, like, they have that the the family friend is writing more fake letters for Evan Hansen, so it shows like they had correspondence, and they have um, like Connor Murphy singing them, like like he's just back and he's like singing all of the letters to each other, so he's this dead kid singing it, and there's this one like they try to make it a joke where the guy adds about how like Evan Hansen was like touching his nipples and shit like that. It's so off putting. It's like wow, you guys did this with this movie. Like, ah, isn't suicide hilarious? Like, it's just so, it's just so wrongheaded. It's just very bad, which is weird because Steven Chbosky is a director that I kind of like. He made that Wonder movie, which was really, really kind of cute. And also uh, Perks of Being a Wallflower, which people really like as well. Um, He kind of makes, he goes after these big, cry teenage movies or kid movies and most of them are, I think, kind of successful. So I can understand why he took on this project because it deals with a lot of like troubling teen issues. But it's a, it is a big uh, oof. It's really, it's mm. tough. And I've already spoken more about it than I want to. So let's move on. <laughs> All right, we won't, we won't mention it again. <laughs> it's very bad. Uh, <laughs> we must, we must banish uh, dear Evan Hansen. So the uh, biggest movie of September in the previous biggest pandemic opening. Uh, before Venom came and ate it is uh, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Um, I really like this movie. It like made me excited to watch a Marvel movie in every way that Black Widow didn't. And maybe it's just because Black Widow was bad and I was like, oh, this is actually interesting. 
Um, but we were talking a little bit before we got on. I think we both agree that the first half is a lot stronger than the second half. Um, there's a lot of really inventive fight sequences in the first half of the movie, I think. Um, there's also, like, the most sexual tension we've ever had in a Marvel movie. And this, like, river dance scene at the very beginning. Oh, of the movie. yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I like this movie. Overall, I'm, uh, I'm giving this movie a thumbs up. Yeah, uh, I would say um, thumbs kind of up, like definitely not in the middle, but like we're, this is a podcast, so people can't see me, but my thumbs like kind of diagonal. Um, it's like seventy five yeah, degrees. It's I thought it was fun. Uh, like I think the first hour, I was like, wow, this is different for Marvel stuff. I mean, it's not totally different, but it's just like Simo Liu is doing really cool action and there's that awesome bus sequence that you see in the trailer and the full thing is just so cool it's really really cool um, and the dude from Creed 2 who has the sword arm is <laughs> fighting him uh, and that was really fun and it's just awesome action and then there's that other really cool scene after um, like when they're in um, they're doing like the battle royale stuff like right after that where um yeah. Tony Lung's guys uh, come and try to like take Sima Lu and this and the sister character. It's just it's the action is just so cool, and I'm like, oh, this is actually like doing different stuff. Um, and then Ben King- and then Ben Kingsley shows up, and nice. the, the movie <laughs> takes a turn from there. Uh, it's just that I thought the first the last hour kind of sucked of this movie. To be honest, it was just such a departure, and it's just gray. Uh, like stuff like you can't really tell what's happening it's just gray background and rubble and then like these weird soul demon dragons are fighting and it's very bizarre (laughs) so it's just yeah it's weird because then ben kingsley is like a very important plot point to like get this (laughs) like the second half of this movie going and i like ben kingsley and i enjoy that character because i'm one of those people who actually likes iron man 3 and this is the corrective obviously to the mar the mandarin character right uh but um it's just it takes so it's just so different and it kind of goes into annoying Marvel CGI schlock that I just don't really care for. So it's kind of a bummer, but the first hour is terrific. Yeah, I think the first hour is really strong because you do have those two really, just like really different action sequences. Like I really, I think uh, where they're fighting on the side of the building, like on the construction. Oh, and the scaffolding. Yeah, like, yeah, was probably my favorite action sequence, and then of course the sexually charged fight between Tony Lung and, and the mom. I can't remember her name. Um, just like having that whole water dance. And then I think the conflict between Shang-Chi and Tony and the Mandarin um, is really strong in that first half where it's like, here's these people that definitely don't want to kill each other, but they also like definitely hate each other and want to fight at some point. Um, so I think that's, I think that's really strong, but yeah, then it becomes like this whole, I'm pretty sure they go to another dimension, like yeah. a water portal, and then they're fighting like soul-sucking dragons, and yeah, it, it definitely loses a lot of that momentum that it had going for it in the first half. Yeah, but at least Aquafina is there just being delightful the entire time, so it, <laughs> it, it smooths out some of the edges, and you have Michelle Yeoh who comes in to make it fun, um, but yeah, Tony Long. And what a guy. I love it. It's just, well, the thing that like people now know him as this character from this Marvel movie when he's been like one of the best international actors ever, maybe, <laughs> is really funny. But I hope this kind of introduces 
people to him and they're like oh I want to go check out all of his Wong Kar Wai movies and all the other cool stuff that he did overseas because he's just he's awesome and he just el- totally elevates this character yeah and I really liked Ben Kingsley as well because uh, I really like Iron Man 3 kind of like you do it's, it's so good <laughs> and so people was, need to stop hating it was, on it it's so much fun it was cool when he came back and then he has a really good like joke in the middle of that end battle like you know you're doing like the classic like random dead bodies we don't care about pan and then it like pauses on the on uh ben kingsley and he's like calm down it's just a performance and then oh yeah goes back to playing dead (laughs) yeah i mean it's ben kingsley right like he's great and everything uh but yeah it's just like it really is like a like a line in the sand like as soon as he shows up like the movie just takes a turn and it's stuff it's more random get from a to b plot stuff that i don't really care about when that shows up in marvel movies so and uh, Wong, like, slowly becoming the most important character. Yeah, you know, he's, it's true. It just He's everywhere now. Yeah, he's just out there. What did you think of uh, Simu Liu? Since this is kind of like I the really first like time him. we've seen him. Um, I was disturbed because, like, we're to the point where Marvel heroes are younger than I am, so I feel old. I'm, not, I'm only... 23 almost 24 but according to my math he was born in like 1998 in this like so that made me feel old uh, even though he's older than i am in real life but i was like gross wait i'm this seeing i'm seeing i'm seeing 89 <laughs> so i think you're good yeah well the actor is but the character oh, was like oh i see i got you I got born you. after yeah, yeah. i was so i was like Ugh, this is what it feels like to yeah well to be an adult i turned 20 but, i turned no. 26 soon so that's not good for me either so <laughs> i uh I really liked him. I think he brought a lot of charisma to it, but not in the usual Marvel way where it's just like an obnoxious amount of charisma. Um, but where like he's a very like self-assured character. Um, like he knows who he is um, and he's funny and fun without just like having to quip constantly. Um, but I think he and Aquafina have really good chemistry um, just going throughout this movie because a lot of this movie, you know, kind of starts off as a buddy movie and then, you know, devolves into a group buddy movie versus dragons. But I think all the all the material they had with just one on one was really solid. Yeah. I think I really like him. Like I had never seen he was on like this Canadian T V show that I had never seen before. I forget what it's called. Um but I never Kim's Convenience. Yeah, that's right. Um I had never seen that. That was the first time I've seen him and he's he's fun. Like uh, obviously everyone's making the like, connections to like Jackie Chan and all that stuff with like his fighting but he, he like he really pulls that really nicely where he's he's using like his body and all he's contorting it and like using all the stuff around him to fight and it's really fun and like I think that kind of just by itself separates him from all of the other Marvel characters right because they're all just quip shoot a gun and then that's kind of it right but they don't they all they all just quip around and he's he is a little different uh, and I, I, he is a fun, he is a fun presence. So I'm hoping. It seems like him. I mean, from the end credits, it's him, uh, the Hulk, and uh, um, what's her name, Brie Larson. Uh, I can't, yeah, Captain, Captain Marvel. Marvel. I can't even think of her name. Ah, uh, jeez. But it seems like they're <laughs> kind of positioning them to be the next big things in Marvel. So I'm here for yeah. it. I love Simulu. I think he's cool. And I like that this was one of the first. Like really street level movies we had for the most part, and until we get to the other until the soul sucking like, dragons, they had to they had to even it out. In the yeah, second <laughs> right. <laughs> for most of this movie, like he's not he doesn't have powers. He's just a dude who 
knows karate and (laughs) like martial arts really really well um and i really like that element of like the excitement of you know five guys fighting on a bus because we really don't get that kind of smaller scale action in marvel movies a whole lot anymore yeah and then um his sister mang or the played by mang or zong i think is her name but she's she's cool and then the the end credits scene where the ten rings are coming back. It's like cool. Like I want to see yeah. more of her. She was awesome. She was really really cool in this movie. Yeah, I think it's easy to forget that like the MCU started with Iron Man fighting terrorists, and yeah, it's nice to even if we're getting a very exaggerated version of that uh, with her character, it's nice to at least get back to that a little. And even like the uh, the the fighting ring they had in uh, was it in Macau was really cool like i really enjoyed that aspect of like the criminal underworld of the mcu where you know not everyone is trying to like find magic rocks some people are just out here to make money yeah right and they're just fighting abomination and then i love that because uh, wong is just <laughs> yeah. telling them to take a fall to get the money that, that's so funny <laughs> and uh i like the karaoke scenes with wong at the end <laughs> oh yeah that was a the hotel california bit throughout was it really and, was really funny to me <laughs> I really like, I don't know the actor's name, but like, so the sister's sidekick that meets him on the elevator when they go to Macau. Oh, I know what you're talking about. He's like the, like the, the fight announcer or whatever. I really liked his character. Yeah, I've seen, I I can't look up his name, but I've seen him and stuff. And I was like, I like him. He, He just shows up and does fun stuff in movies. I can't remember where I saw him, but yeah, he was cool. Yeah, oh, he was in a Godzilla vs. Kong, but I don't remember what his character was. Oh, that's right. I was like, I, I remember seeing him recently. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that is uh, Shang-Chi, and we're we're not done with Marvel. We've, we've still got more Marvel this year. <laughs> we always got more Marvel. There's always more. Uh, but yeah, so I think the last thing we'll kind of touch on is another HBO Max uh theatrical release and that is malignant which i have not seen uh because it came out in september which was just nuts but uh i know you saw it didn't you i did and i love this movie and it's so bad but i think it's great it's a so this is james wan just out here and i was i was looking up the past seven movies he's done have been attached to a franchise which is crazy to me like he is just out here going from Saw to like Aquaman and the Insidious and obviously the Conjuring movie. Furious Seven. Yeah, it's just it's just this crazy run of movies where he has just been doing um, blockbuster stuff for Warner Brothers, and he's just they've tapped him as just one of the guys to kind of shepherd all of their big projects. And I mean, there's no. I think there's people who quibble with like his films themselves, but all of them make money and they all do really, really well. Um, so this is kind of the first time in a while where he's just been like, I kind of want to try something that's not a part of something. And um, we have Malignant and it's hilarious. It is, it's, it's one of those. So some people just think this movie's flat out bad, but I see this as a finely crafted um like spoof movie i think this is very this movie knows exactly what it's doing it might not be a spoof but it's like a very clear horror comedy at this movie is having a lot of fun with what it's doing 
and there's been a few like clips that have gone on on Twitter where like every time there's been every time someone in the movie makes like a like they make a startling like um, revelation they say it like they say it out loud to one of the other characters after it's first of all it's already very obvious based on what's happening in the movie that it's overkill when they like say like oh like blah 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 and it's like supposed to be this big revelation but it's like yeah we already know what we already know it's like we don't need you to tell us again um, but then they play it up even more where like the reverse shot of person reacting to it like they'll like zoom in on their face and be like whoa this is amazing <laughs> and it's if you don't understand like the comedy in that movie like it's like i can't help you like this movie is like clearly trying to be this goofy thing and um yeah so it's just i don't even know how to describe this movie so this this um annabelle wallace is the lead character in this and she starts getting visions of this kind of shadowy um figure that is killing people and she's like paralyzed in these moments and she's like transported to where the killings are happening and so there's this big like thing with a team up with the cops to try to figure out who's doing it and it's like it's james wan kind of riffing on jallo movies where um there's a little bit of mystery and they have like their murder weapon and it's kind of a little bit of a um, cat and mouse game the entire time and um it's so goofy and very very stupid and then, um, then the third act happens, and it's the most gloriously stupid thing I've ever seen <laughs> in my life. Um, well, maybe, maybe not, but it's really funny. Um, it's there's like a, I don't even want to describe it, but the third act is just like hold the fuck on and just like let the movie do what it's doing because it is so unhinged and so outrageous. Like I am so amazed that uh, the Warner Brothers let James Wan like do what he does in this movie. <laughs> like it's so stupid, and I had a great time. Uh, so yeah, I don't really don't want to say much more than that because it is, it is such a joy. It is, I think it is so, um, self-reflexive and it knows exactly what it's doing. And, um, like it's kind of like a throwback to like a Frank Henenlotter movie. Like it's just really goopy and, and weird and funny. Um, it has a lot to do with like that. Um, and there's one plot point specifically, uh, which I would give it away, but, uh, it's just this really wacky bizarre thing and it's really hilarious i had so much fun with it so i, I hope people check out check it out it's just so stupid nice well that is malignant and that is this week at the box office or really this month at the box office um so we'll be back uh with october october is quite the slate um so next week alone we have some heavy hitters we have um Obviously, the big one, No Time to Die. We have Lamb coming out next week. We have The Muppets Haunted Mansion coming out on the 8th as well. Like, you could not have a more stacked box office weekend than those three movies. Um, but, yeah, so we've got we've got a lot coming up. Halloween later in the month. Last Night in Soho and French Dispatch. Dune, too. Yeah. Dune, yeah. Um, so, we will be back next week talking about no time to die as well as some of the other ones and remember you can always check us out online at movie babble